Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a podcast from Minute Media. All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where, unfortunately for the Lakers, the world is still round. And more than a week into NBA free agency, we're still in as the world turns mode with Kyrie Irving, but the world may be turning quicker and quicker than we think if recent reports are to be believed. And with Vegas Summer League further stoking the flames of negotiations and all of the NBA GMs and personnel in Vegas, who knows what could happen this weekend? But hey, in the interim, the Lakers have signed another big man, a spacing one this time, reuniting with former ex-Laker Thomas Bryant. And now with one free agent roster spot left, we now continue to wait for the next big Kyrie Infinity shoe to drop. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tommy Alexander and Alan Riley. Tommy, how much have you allowed yourself to even envision what Kyrie Irving on this team would look like on the court? Um, I think I've gone too far down the rabbit hole at this point. So yeah, I think I like am fully expecting it. So if we roll back the same team, it's going to be very disappointing. Okay, nice. All right, Alan. Well, welcome back to the show. The last time we spoke, it was sort of the calm before the storm. And well, now the storm has come and gone. A slew of new acquisitions have occurred. And now we await the incoming Kyrie Typhoon. Similar question that I just asked Tommy, but have you allowed yourself to watch any Kyrie Irving videos or highlights, or are you still guarding your heart? Um, I freaking, as a basketball player, I feel like everyone prefaces it like that. I love Kyrie Irving. And, like, who doesn't, yeah. you know? But, yeah. God, it's, like, must-see freaking TV. It's, like, art when you watch that guy. He's, like, mm-hmm. a genius, you know, on the court. So I, I haven't, like, just gone down the rabbit hole and watched a bunch of videos, but I feel like the highlights just run through my brain. Like, there are multiple, like, anecdotal, you know, instances where I'm like, oh, there's that one game where they were playing against Milwaukee on their throwback floor, and he crossed this guy up, and he did this and that's Like, there's a plethora of them that just keep running through my mind. Um, so I guess the, the YouTube videos that just exist within my mind are that rabbit hole, which I have gone down, yes. 
That's that's fair. The rabbit hole that I've gone down is just remembering remembering his relationship with Kobe and how tightly knit they yeah. were. And then also just his story arc of, I mean, how poetic would it be for this guy to have promised the Boston Celtics and their fans on the hardwood floor saying, I will re-sign this summer if you guys will have me, only to walk away from them. And then even with the Brooklyn Nets saga to totally dismantle the Lakers East version of a team. And then to come back around and potentially become a Laker, I think it's just so poetic. It's like the best inside man job you could ask for from one NBA player. So I hope it happens. Um, but yeah, with with that said, in this episode, we'll talk about the Lakers officially signing Thomas Bryant, get Allen's comprehensive thoughts on all the other new free agent signings since he hasn't been able to give his take. And then we'll, of course, talk more about Kyrie Irving. But first, please do us a favor and take a minute out of your busy schedule to give us a five-star Apple podcast rating and review or give us a five-star rating on the Spotify app, which is a new feature that they just recently added. Uh, The more times you smash that five-star button on Apple or Spotify, the more times Kyrie Irving will flood the Lakers' locker room this upcoming season with copious amounts of incense to rid the Lakers of the bad Westbrook slash DeAndre Juju from last season. All right, so let's move on You couldn't resist throwing DeAndre in there too, huh? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I couldn't resist the answer. I mean, I almost threw in Avery Bradley and DJ Augustine, but DJ Augustine was only on the team for like 15 games, so he doesn't deserve that. Um, with that said, let's move on to the new signings. Uh, Thomas Bryant was officially announced this past week. He had his presser interview, short introductory interview. He's only 24 years old. Obviously, he will now have a full offseason to continue to strengthen his body after coming back from the ACL injury. Now that it's official, well, first... Alan, let's go to you. What are your thoughts on bringing back a familiar face, but one who we can sort of get this redemptive arc story with because we had to unceremoniously just cut him for, you know, roster slot decisions and whatnot. But he's had his, you know, growth period in NBA, uh, experienced some setbacks with the ACL injury, but now he's in a position where he has to prove himself again, right? But yeah, what are your thoughts on bringing back Thomas Bryan and what he potentially provides on the court for Anthony Davis? And presumably he was, you know, promised a chance to compete for the starting center spot along with Damian Jones. But your thoughts on bringing back TB? Yeah, uh, the fact that he didn't go to Boston, I think first and foremost is a huge W. Um, And I mean, I think most people know, right? Like it's going to spread the floor. Like, and, and we did not have that at all last year uh so this is going to help anthony davis a lot uh this is going to this four out one in you know thing that darvin ham wants to run all that kind of stuff uh so I, I think it definitely fits the scheme uh most people i feel are a bit concerned about what his defense you know might look like um we'll, we'll credit Cranjus for this one he posted some metrics about uh thomas bryant in comparison uh to oh my gosh i'm blanking out was it dwight it, it was no, it was DeAndre. It was DeAndre, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it was just like, okay, look look who, you know, checks all these boxes. And then, of course, Thomas Bryant's. They, they weren't like, you know, any all-team defense <laughs> like caliber whatsoever. But it was miles ahead of what we had to endure last year. So, um, 
And of course, he has a higher upside. I mean, the guy's young, right? You said. Did you like, really he's... need Cranjus analytics to tell you that, though? <laughs> well, I, I don't want to just like say, I didn't calculate this, right? So like, it was <laughs> sure, very sure. objective measures, and uh, I want to give the guy his due. Um, but it was just a nice visual representation, like on paper, as if we didn't need the visual representation because mm-hmm. we saw it with our own damn eyes watching these games. Um, but yeah, just to like remind people that yeah, like Thomas Bryant's got an upside. Um, we could talk about his measurables and things like that. Um, he's got a motor, that's for sure. Um, I, mm. I think that if anything, uh, his his effort won't be lacking, and whatever we remember from back in the day was like, okay, well, the dude was like a rookie, so um, as far as the IQ goes, it, it wasn't, I'm sure, like where it's going to be now. And uh, the fact that Darvin Ham is a coach who works with bigs, you know, like that was one of his roles with Milwaukee. Um, I think that there's a lot of room for for development there. Uh, that's just going to happen naturally. Yeah, and I think he slots into that halfway in-between point of Brooke Lopez and a Bobby Portis in Ham's system. And like you mentioned about the four-out-one-end scheme, it's integral to have a spacing big who can rotate in and out of the paint. So he'll be essential to what Ham wants to do if whenever they start, you know, or play AD and another big together. And I think in general, he really does have a beautiful jump shot and stroke. And I love that he can skillfully pump fake and hit a dribble pull up jump shot. You know, with some bigs that can sort of space, they're strictly like catch and shoot. And that's all they can do because, you know, it takes a long time to get for them to get that jump shot off. But Thomas Bryant is very, a very natural shooter. I'd almost say like he can get that shot off pretty quick. He's got a quick release. And because of that, he can do a little bit more versatile things with that jump shot. Like I mentioned, you know, pump fake, dribble, pull up, take a few dribbles in, step to the side, etc. So it is almost LaMarcus Aldridge-esque in a sense. Um, before his ACL injury, he was a legitimate starter on an NBA team. Like not a good one, but he was a starting center. And I think, Tommy, this is one thing that you mentioned the last episode when we talked about Thomas Bryant potentially signing. But, you know, we were comparing him to DeMarcus Cousins and to temper people's expectations. If you look at the defensive metrics between the two, DeMarcus Cousins actually graded out better than Thomas Bryant last year. Although you caveat everything with TB with the fact that he had his ACL injury and was just recovering from that, right? But I think something that Tommy brought up when we were comparing the two is the fact that You know, Thomas Bryan, as opposed to DeMarcus Cousins, who rightfully should feel a bit entitled to some level of security and assurance with role. Unlike DeMarcus, Thomas Bryant is only 24. He's still looking for one last big multi-year contract in the NBA Uh, because of his youth and because he hasn't really established himself as, as much as someone like DeMarcus Cousins. I think you can bank on the fact that he'll be more desperate, more willing to compete for anything, less entitled. He's sort of that do-or-die type player at this stage of his career who I think still feels like he has to earn his stripes. And so he should bring a great level of competition and fight with Damian Jones that I think will be necessary throughout the course of an 82-game regular season. So, Tommy, anything else to add uh, on top of that? I like the mix and matching of skills, you know, we had signed Damian Jones first. And so it was nice to see them like, you know, guys like Hassan Whiteside and, and, um, uh, other similar guys to, you know, lob threats and, and, and that, and more, more interior types of players were available. And so to get Thomas Bryant, I mean, I think it shows good organizational like thought process, right? Like we, we potentially need, we don't know really, I, I frankly, I don't know, maybe people, maybe they know who, where, where AD is going to play for most of the season, but Thomas Bryant gives you an option to start a stretch big next to him. And Damian Jones is really solid, but you also just need like one big ass dude on your team. You know what I mean? Like a seven footer with a seven, six wingspan. Who's like strong, like a real true center. Like 
you need one guy like that on your roster, and and we got a really good version of that. Yeah, although I will say Thomas Bryant's like 6'9", 6'10", so I think Damian Jones is the bigger player, but Thomas gotcha. Bryant has the longer wingspan. But your point is well taken in terms of who has more experience actually banging down low and being that high-energy motor guy. Yeah, he's like 250 or something. Yeah, and to Alan's point about his motor, I mean, even last season, the one thing that I really appreciated is, and this will help with Darvin Ham's you know, transition principles, is he really sprints down the floor once a missed shot is taken or he gets the rebound or another player gets the rebound. I love that he'll just, you know, zoom right down, whether it's to clean up for another player's miss or to actually receive the lob on the other end. I think that's something to look forward to with regards to TB. All right, Al, let's move on to the the signing before Thomas Bryant, uh, one of the last signings of day one, JTA, Juan Toscano-Anderson of Golden State Warriors fame. He was recently, you know, world champion. Slam dunk finalist in, in 2022, so last year. This just shows me that I clearly did not watch anything in all, during All-Star Weekend. because <laughs> he I did not was? Remember. I completely forgot he was. that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so Juan Toscano-Anderson was slam dunk finalist last year. He's one of these guys who really had to scrap and grind to make it into the NBA. He bounced around in Latin America for a while. Finally got a shot in the NBA at age 26 with the Warriors. He actually grew up in Oakland. Mentioned in his interview that he idolizes Kobe. And so for him, you know he's still fighting for his NBA life, kind of like Thomas Bryant. So you have to like that perspective. From what I've seen of his tape, he's very athletic, long, strong. He can really hold his own even when switched on to big men in the paint, which I really like. Um, You can almost approximate that Alex Caruso type, get after it, scrappy, strong, hold your ground like defense to Juan Toscano Anderson. Um, But one thing that actually intrigues me from his play last season is the fact that he averaged 2.8 assists. And during his career, he has a 2.2 assist average. I'm not saying he's like an Alex Caruso type player, but in terms of a guy who within an offensive system really knows how to make the right reads and, you know, move the ball around. um, I like that even from like a passing standpoint, Juan Toscano Anderson can fit like a motion style offense that, you know, Darvin Ham would want to employ. Now, I wish he was more of a volume three point shooter, but the good thing about him is he doesn't take bad shots and he knows when and where to attack, cut, crash the boards, etc. I mean, he shot 49% from the field this past season and then 58% from the field last season. That's ridiculous for like a, you know, shooting guard slash wing. And he actually played more minutes uh, last season. So, Alan, what are your thoughts on JTA, even though he's probably more of the, you know, unassuming signing? Yeah, um, he is a lot bigger <laughs> and stronger than I just like kind of remember, you know? Uh, cause I think, I don't know, at least for me, when, I, when I'm watching like the Lakers play against the Warriors, like, yeah, of course I'm observing things, but I'm not keying in, of course, and scouting every single player's skill set and their attributes. So when I watched the tape, uh, I was like, yo, this guy's like pretty beefy. Um, like he's yeah. a, got legit size. And you can see how he uses it to his advantage. Um, like, he doesn't just rely on his athleticism, which he possesses. And I think that that helps him to play under control. Uh, so, yeah, he, like, plays passing lanes. Uh, he has really active hands and things like that. Um, and when he gets out on the break, this is where he is a lot like AC. I think that's a really good comp. Um, like, he can just handle it on his own, right? Like, he can create the shot for himself. Um, you're not going to worry about him being really out of control like I had really... PTSD kind of flashbacks to like, oh my god, Kent Bazemore is this like quick guy with active hands and he jumps a passing lane, but then the guy can't make a layup to save his life. It's like the most frustrating. Yeah. It's just another turnover, basically. Um, whereas JTA is really under control and just feels like reliable. Um, and I, I feel like the one thing that was kind of interesting last year was 
Like, he got a lot of minutes when Clay was injured, right? Like, and the Warriors were going through all their stuff. So he got a lot of playing time this season. Of course, they came back, and his minutes were a little bit spottier, I feel like, from the Warriors games that I watched. He, he would be in, like, the rotation, and he'd get quality, like, time minutes, but then a lot of times it's more like blowouts. Um, so it'll be interesting just to see how we integrate him. Like you said, it was more of an unassuming, under-the-radar type of signing, but uh, I'm excited, you know, for it. I, I think that we've seen a lot of players... On the Lakers, we're like, ah, we'll see how many minutes they get. It might be like 8 to 10. And then they end up, right, being like those, uh, you know, top 8 to 9 rotation guys. Yeah, because I think with the other players that we signed, you know, Lottie Walker, Troy Brown Jr., while they have flashed some defensive physical attributes, it's all more theoretical. With JTA, it's like, no, he's done it with the Warriors of competitive team. So it's just a matter of can he hold up on the offensive end and how much uh, Darvin Ham wants to deploy him over other guys. Uh, Tommy, anything else to add on JTA? Uh, just confirming what Alan said, I didn't realize how strong this dude was. And I think, Jonathan, you probably mentioned, I think you mentioned this to me at some point. And I don't think that he's going to play this role for us, but he played some five in those crazy, like, all-guard lineups that the mm. Warriors ran out last year. But I guess I viewed him because of his height as six six. You know, I kind of viewed him as, like, a 2-3, like, more of a true wing. But he's actually more of, like, a tweener, like, uh, forward. He plays more, like, 3-4. So he could give us some minutes, actually, at the four and... and um he actually might be better suited as a defender at that position, honestly, because if you watch some True. of his tape, it's lateral movement is not necessarily his strong point, but holding his ground and, and being able to body guys and use his length, he's, he's really solid at all that stuff. Yeah, good points. Uh, moving on to TBJ, Troy Brown Jr. Alan, we got one out of that random Stranger Wings episode that we did where we did like Josh Akogi, <laughs> PJ Dozier, et cetera, et cetera. We got Troy Brown Jr. I Honestly, I think if it, we could have actually gotten Josh Akogi too because he's a clutch client. I just think we went with the taller Juan Toscano Anderson, more experience, which makes sense out of the two, right? Um, but Troy Brown Jr., the one additional you know point that I want to add is he has really good hands. He has a knack for disrupting passing lanes and being a great help defender who strips the ball from unassuming players. And the best part is, unlike Kent Bazemore, he can take the ball the, the length of the court. And not only does he get the steal, but he can ignite the fast break himself, push the ball down the court, play make for others, or finish it himself. He's essentially a big point guard with a high basketball IQ. I think Ham will love him for that ability to push the pace and get their transition going on the defensive end first and foremost, and then finish it off on the other end. And he's another guy who can be a very good quick read and react type player that will really help Ham's motion offense keep flowing and keep the defense warped and bent versus being stagnant. So, Alan, any additional thoughts on the Troy Brown Jr. signing? Uh, no, I like what you had to say just about him, uh, you know, active hands, I think coming off double teams, stripping the ball and things like that. And it's not just him. Like I met, forgot to mention that for JTA, that's another one of his things. I feel like he's a really great one-on-one defender and a team defender. And mm. uh, it, I see that in Troy Brown Jr. as well. So let, let's just hope that, like, that theme of, okay, we want you to, like, yes, of course, dominate, like, that one-on-one -on -one matchup and really lock down. But you need to recognize, like, have that spatial, like, court awareness as well. And when is it time to double team? When are you supposed to float? When do you do this and that? And, uh, yeah, I think that we've got a couple guys who uh, possess, like, that basketball IQ, you know, type of strength. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Tommy, anything else to add on TBJ? Uh, nothing for me. Okay, so let's move on to the more controversial signing. Uh, Lonnie Walker, we use our full Emily on this guy, day one clutch signing. Um, I'll, I'll put this out there one last time because I think people may 
inaccurately construe Tommy and I's comments during our day one, day two coverage of Lonnie Walker signing and think that we're hating on the actual player, I would just like to say Lonnie Walker to vacuum is a perfectly fine player with high upside that we're excited about. I don't know how you can't be excited about a player who can fly, you know, like that. It's just the context surrounding this Lakers team who only had one financial tool to use and the fact that they used it day one on a clutch player who's 6'4 and under, who doesn't have any playoff experience, doesn't have any starting experience. Um, it just leaves a lot of questions. Now, obviously, we don't know that, you know, Bruce Brown Jr., Otto Porter Jr., Jalen Smith didn't reject the Lakers, right? But given the fact that it's a clutch client and we signed him on day one and we didn't really wait out the process, and you can also add like guys like Dante DiVincenzo to that list, I think it's fair to assume that we also don't know that the Lakers just didn't pass on all of those guys for the clutch client, right? So the truth is probably somewhere in between. And if you're asking me to give this front office the benefit of the doubt when it comes to, per- when it comes to personnel decisions, I'm going to be more on the dubious side of things and be like, I don't think they accurately gauge this because I would rather have the proven Bruce Brown Jr. who you know will play defense or even Dante DiVincenzo who's played with him, etc. Or even Jalen Smith, even though I know there's now some redundancy with Thomas Bryant, but you know Jalen Smith would now be the healthier version and healthier and younger version of Thomas Bryant. Keeping all that into account, and also, you know, there is that argument that oh, the Lakers weren't even offering players two-year deals like these other guys got. And for me, that's a problem because I don't think that should be holding the Lakers back in doing anything. Because even if you give a player a two-year deal, you can easily move off on expiring six million dollars in 2023 if need be. And in the event that we get Kyrie Irving, we don't even have the cap space, so it doesn't matter. And if anything, you're giving if you're giving a player a two-year deal, you're getting his early bird right. So. Um, to me, it's just the context of the fact that we signed another 6'4 guard who's a lesser version of Malik Monk. And right now, as it stands, he has to compete for minutes against Austin Reeves, Taylor Horton Tucker, maybe even Stanley Johnson, maybe even JTA and, you know, Troy Brown Jr. And even if you ship and consolidate some of those guys out, all the guys we're hearing who could be coming back in with Kyrie are all shooting guards. So it's like you signed a player to your biggest spending amount this offseason who in all likelihood is going to be a bench player and if he's starting then something kind of went wrong because you know in the playoffs he's going to be the player that gets hunted like people were talking about Malik Monk right so everything with you know Lonnie Walker I want to say is context-based because in a vacuum for that price at that age that upside I love it. You know, you take a flyer upset like that anytime you can. It's just, so it's not hating on Lonnie Walker. It's just questioning the process that the Lakers took. If you can tell me outright the Lakers did their due diligence and aggressively pursued guys like Bruce Brown Jr., Dante DiVincenzo, Otto Porter Jr., maybe even guys like, you know, Dan Will House and tried to split the MLE. If you can tell me they did their due diligence and prioritized those guys correctly, then fine. I'm just kind of dubious at the fact that they did all of that. With that said... Alan, what are your thoughts on Lonnie Walker the fourth? Because he is an elite athlete. That's there's no questioning that. He's extremely dynamic, bouncy. He almost reminds me of obviously he looked a lot taller with, you know, his rookie season, rookie his first three two or three years when he had that, you know, 
Eiffel Tower sort of hairdo. But now that he doesn't have that, he kind of looks like Dennis Smith Jr., Eric Bledsoe out there, you know, throwing down these ridiculous jams, like the mini LeBron type of explosive guard who looks like he's ready to tear the rim down at every play. And he can also fill it up on the offensive end, get you buckets. You know, he has the little shake and bake to him. He's got off-the-bounce scoring potential. He did shoot 36.7% from three, hitting 2.2 a game in the 16 games post-All-Star break last season. So even though he shot 31% overall, you know, who knows what was happening the first half of the season, right? And at least you have that you know, small sample size of him being a better three-point threat. And even if you take it back to last year, he did shoot 35.5% the entire season, knocking down 1.7 a game. So I think there is a semblance of a three-point shot there. And if you know, if you listen to his press conference interview, leave me open if you like, see what happens, leave me open. So I like that confidence. He just needs to be more consistent and maybe a little bit more judicious and efficient with his shot selection. But outside of that, what are your thoughts on Lonnie Walker, Alan? Yeah, I think uh, the context is important. It'll be interesting to see just how he fits with uh, the caliber of players that we do have on this team, Um, like seeing what the rotations are going to be, what's the personnel going to be on the floor when he's out there, because in San Antonio, right, it was like basically they're they're in like a rebuilding situation, you know, so... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we'll see what it looks like uh, when he's on like a team that's really trying to compete. Um, like you said, the bounce, the athleticism, the exciting, you know, type of player that he is. Uh, yeah, it's good to have like a straight up athlete on your team. Um, and you know, speaking of guys who can just run the break by themselves, you know, and uh, just get out ahead of the break without a problem. He's one of those dudes. I, I think defensively, because he's so athletic, kind of to counteract what we were talking about with JTA. Uh, he's more of like a gambler. <laughs> That's kind of like the vibe that I get from him. He's the JaVale McGee highlight reel, you know, defender. And if you watch his defensive tape, by the way, he was only a .8. He only had a .8 better defensive rating than Malik Monk last season. Um, and and yeah. by highlight reel defender, and this is what you're probably getting at, Alan, is you'll see him get the crazy steal as the help defender or the nice recovery block because the dude blew past him or he wasn't paying attention. So that so it's great that he has the physical attributes to sort of clean up after himself. But unlike JaVale McGee, who's seven foot, like you don't want a JaVale McGee defender at 6'4", but go ahead and continue. Yeah, yeah, like the things that he was doing, it was like, wow, that's really impressive because you had to make up for something else wrong that happened. Um, and bottom line is like, you did it, right? I guess that's cool. Um, and that's why it looks so flashy as opposed to some other dudes who are just a lot more solid and like grounded. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it'll be fun, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, I just hope like that again, with the context of our team, that that can help to alleviate whatever kind of scoring responsibilities he, that he might've had, like in San Antonio, Right. Kind of remove some pressure, but then also if he's relegated to being kind of like a catch and shoot, you know, type of guy, like, okay, that's actually not his game either. So, uh, there's, there's absolutely upside. We'll just see how things kind of fit together. Yeah. And then this is not to say we're not giving the dude a, sh- a chance. It's just yeah. based off of prior experience and the fact that, I mean, he played for Greg Popovich, you know, if Greg Popovich can't get you to play defense and look, granted, maybe Greg Popovich wasn't his style of mentorship, right? Maybe he didn't take rightly to Greg Popovich, which is, you know, very, that's very fair. But I think with, with Lonnie Walker right now, the reason why you want to cast some sort of doubt is because everything you're talking about, like, oh, he can be a great defender because he's slightly taller than Malik Monk, has a long, longer wingspan, he's more athletic, he's more sturdily built. I mean, he said he's like 
gain like 15 pounds on, in the offseason or whatever, just in case, quote unquote, um, and that he's ready to play defense. Everything with Lonnie Walker right now is theoretical. You know, maybe this, maybe that in a different context. So I think that's why we should still, you know, put a little bit of grain of salt with Lonnie Walker. Not that we don't want him to succeed because we need him to succeed. But the one other thing I'll add is, you know, even just as an asset, I kind of, you know, to play devil's advocate, I get the move because at $6.5 million to have a 23-year-old at that price, if you need to make a larger trade midseason, you can add him into another deal with like THT if he's still on the roster and get back a player who's making like, you know, 18, 20 million dollars, you know, especially if it's THT none and Lonnie Walker and you assume that any other team who's looking to offload salary or offload a productive player would want a flyer on a guy, on a young guy like Lonnie Walker. So even from a trade asset standpoint, I think there's some positives. But Tommy, is there anything else you'd like to add on LW4? Yeah, it's a big upside play. And you kind of hope that a lot of things click for him that haven't clicked so far in his career. I mean, the shooting, everybody goes to the shooting because he was sort of inconsistent. You know, he was kind of on the upswing his first three years and then maybe took a slight step back last year. Um, And his decision-making has been a little suspect on offense. But the more interesting thing for me is, like, defensively, can he reach his potential there? Because 6'4 with a 6'10 wingspan, good strength, like, he has all the tools to be a good, you know, perimeter defender, but he hasn't executed that step so far. So if he gets there, this is going to be a huge payoff. Yeah, I, I will say, though, I feel like we've said that so many times for different people, including Malik Monk. He's like, he's so athletic. There's no reason why he can't no, do this. No, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And that's the frustrating thing, right, when you think about the signing, because it's like so many things have to hit right. If he was a really good defender or had shown flashes on that end, sort of like how Malik had shown flashes offensively before he got here, then you could think like, okay, we have something to work with, but... Unfortunately, he has so far been like, you know, consistently ranked among the worst defenser, uh, defenders on the perimeter in the league. And that's on the team that was like struggling, but extremely, extremely well coached. So it's it's not the most encouraging. And outside of like the I know people are getting tired of the advanced analytics with Lonnie Walker and shooting him down that way. But I actually read a couple, you know, San Antonio Spurs like review, season reviews of Lonnie Walker. And the main point that everybody had to say about Lonnie Walker is He's capable when he's engaged, but too often, you know, at the end of the day, it comes back to defensive IQ and whether or not a player has that, you know, regardless of the physical attributes. Um, And too often, he was a guy who was caught watching off ball, you know, not paying attention, just not being able to discern what's going on in in context to what other players are doing like on the court at any one time. And so that's his biggest problem. I think if the, you know, on ball defender, he's probably better, but as we saw, you know, watching some defensive highlights, he's still getting blown by a couple of times, you know, by the offensive player. So he's definitely a WIP. And obviously there's a lot to be hopeful about with regards to Darvin Ham being a developmental coach and probably mentoring him the right way and maybe a different way than Greg Popovich did. But again, it just goes back to everything right now with Lonnie Walker is theoretical And when you are theoretical and hopeful, and when you are giving your most expensive financial tool to that player, you kind of question, especially given the context that the Lakers are trying to be a win-now team, you kind of question why we did that, and it goes back to clutch. Um, Next offseason, I'm just going to look at who the clutch clients are, and that'll probably, we'll pick from that list of who's going to be the mid-level signing. Um, With that said, let's take it to break. When we return, we'll close this section out and talk about Damian Jones, and then transition right into the Kyrie Irving saga. So we will catch you guys after the turn. 
All right, so we are back. Here is the first signing of the day, Alan, and also a former ex-Laker, albeit for a very short period of time. He never should have been an ex-former ex-Laker, if we're keeping it real. But now he's back, and that's all that matters. Uh, Damian Jones. I am probably most excited about this guy. I feel like, even in the year off from when we last had him, feel like he really grew with the Sacramento Kings. And outside of putting up some gaudy-ass numbers, I feel like he became more confident shooting mid-range jump shots and even three-pointers. Outside of going 10 of 29 from three, 34%, He also hit 29 of 56 on all other jump shots, which is 52%. And from 16 feet out to the three-point line, he shot 14 of 27 from mid-range. Would you have guessed that at all? You know, because most of his highlights are like dunks, putbacks, you know, pick-and-roll plays. But he was actually a pretty solid jump shooter, and I think something that he can continue to expand in his game. Um, And that's something to be very excited about. Um, He's obviously an absolute pogo stick, is a terror as a lob threat has surprisingly good soft touch around the rim. Um, And he can absolutely, and he mentioned it himself, I believe, he can absolutely fill that JaVale, McGee-ish, Dwight Howard-ish role for the Lakers. But even if we take like a macro look at his development, I mean, he's 26, 27 now. I think progression-wise, I can actually see Damian Jones becoming sort of like the next Rashawn Holmes, who's actually his teammate with the Sacramento Kings last year, in the sense that it actually took Rashawn Holmes four years till his age 26 season to get to, you know, starter level quality and trustability in the NBA, where he could really stabilize himself and stabilize his big man skills, hone in a mid-range jump shot and truly understand his strengths in that role. And not to say that Damian Jones will be as good as Rashawn Holmes at his peak, but I could see that developmental curve. I mean, we already saw, I feel like a pretty substantial leap from when he was with us on that 10 day to what he did last season with the Sacramento Kings. And I have no reason to believe that that's going to stop, you know? Because prior to the 2019-20 season with the Kings, Rashawn Holmes hadn't averaged more than 20 minutes in a single season. And that's kind of what Damian Jones has been doing ever since. Like Jones played 20 minutes and 18 minutes the last two seasons with the Kings. And those are career highs, by the way, the, the minutes that he played with the Kings. And I wouldn't be surprised if he established a new career high with the Lakers, even if it's just, you know, two minutes more over 20. But yeah, what are your thoughts on the Damian Jones signing? I'm so glad that it was the first signing because it kind of set the tone for the rest of uh, our free agency. Yeah, dude, I really liked it. I I agree with you. It's probably the one that I'm most excited about, uh, just for his freaking defense. Um, dude, he is yeah. such a good defender. Um, yeah, the way he moves his feet, the fact that he can switch like <laughs> to a one, you know, and guard on the perimeter. Um, I'm sure we all we all watch the same tape, right? Uh, there's one highlight where he's guarding C.J. McCollum. And he's trying to isolate on yeah. him. And he just stuffed him, dude. And CJ was, like, super frustrated. He thought he got fouled. He didn't. And I'm like, dude, that's one of the greatest, like, one-on-one, you know, players in the league right now in CJ McCollum. Like, he can get a shot anytime he wants. And uh, he just plays, like, within himself. He's not trying to do too much. He uses all of his attributes, you know, um, to to just do what he needs to do. And, yeah, like, he's a great, like, weak side, you know, flashy pogo stick, like, rim de- uh, defender and all that kind of stuff. Um, he could be, like, your last line of defense when guys get beat um, and, and all of that. But uh, just the versatility, I think, that he provides is going to feel, especially given what we've experienced, like, such a freaking luxury. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know... I'm I'm not saying like he's he's Dwight Howard, right? At all. But like there's a time when 
Dwight Howard, you could you would feel comfortable with him locking up anybody one through five, and you could see him moving his feet and like using his length just to take up space, and guys would not be able to get around him, and they'd get frustrated. Um, I think that yeah, he can be someone like that for us too. So uh, yeah, I feel like there are like ten other things that I'm leaving out <laughs> that have really stood out to me. But I I am so excited. Uh, I don't know if he's like a threat to be starting center. Um, I think, I don't think it really matters to be honest. I, he's going to get really quality minutes. Uh, he could be in a closing lineup for sure though. Uh, if, if yeah, you need yeah. to get stops, like if anything, yeah, maybe he has the edge over TB. Um, and it's interesting what this could do in terms of AD playing four or five, you know, and all that kind of stuff that feels like such a terror in terms of defense to have him in AD down low. Um, yeah, dude, I, I cannot freaking wait. Yeah, and you know, size-wise, he he I mean, it remains to be seen, you know, whether he continues to progress three-point shooting-wise, mid-range-wise. I mean, his shot looks good, so I don't see why not, but maybe he could be, you know, that Brook Lopez type eventually or even Darvin Ham has utilized Robin Lopez in his system as well when he played for the Bucks, so I could definitely see that. And, you know, you mentioned CJ McCollum. There's also clips of him switching on to DeJounte Murray, who's an even more athletic guard, and him being able to contain that perimeter offense and it's just incredible because I feel like we didn't see that with the Lakers if anything we were questioning what his ability to contain the perimeter during his 10 day with us you know so even that shows like tremendous growth on Damian Jones end and so I'm very excited to see how he continues to progress because this is a guy who still has to prove himself he's on a minimum contract right and just you put all those things in combination with one another and it could just be the perfect confluence of events to continue to see this guy have career years, you know? So, Tommy, anything else to add on Damian Jones? Yeah, I haven't, like, analyzed, you know, enough his film with the Kings last year against what he looked like with us. But just, you know, from quickly looking at that and sort of remembering what he looked like with us, it it feels like certain fundamental things have changed. And I don't know, maybe this is, like, uh, Alvin Gentry or whoever developed him with the Kings did a phenomenal job. Because the one thing I always remembered about him when he was with us on the on those 10 days was he, he was always, like, so upright on defense. And he always seemed to have on both ends of the court, frankly, like, pretty bad court awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it, when you watch him in some of these like defensive clips, um, you know, the offense is like, it'll be what it'll be in our, in our offense. But when you see him in some of these defensive clips, he gets into like more of a crouch when he's defending guys on the perimeter, which, you know, it helps him a ton. He's not getting blown by like nearly as much. And then like on the inside, when you watch him off the ball, he is like, has full awareness of where he is relative to where his man is re- relative to where the ball is. And it's like, you would see these like weird plays with him when he was on us with the 10 days and he was so athletic and so big. You just sort of, you, you couldn't see why it wouldn't click. And then you would watch him play and it's like, you would have a game where he would go six for six, but like on defense, he would be randomly standing like three feet behind his guy, like under the rim, like in a place where he couldn't make any plays on the ball, you know? And he like had weird defensive or uh, rebounding problems because of that too at times. But he just feels like such a solid player. I mean, honestly, watching some of these clips, I'm like, we, we got to steal. I know people don't mm-hmm. want to pay centers nowadays, but, and I'm not saying this dude's going to get like the 10 million MLE next year, but like he could legit, if he has a breakout year, he could definitely triple his salary, you know, get like the, buy someone's biannual next year or something like that. And, and it might be worth it. I mean, we'll have to see what it looks like um, with how many minutes he gets, because between him, 
Thomas Bryant and presumably AD is going to take some minutes at the five as well. There, there's not going to be a ton of time to go around, but I'm I'm pretty excited about what he can bring. Yeah, I agree. That was like, you know, our A-plus signing, I think. Um, so let's move on to the Kyrie Irving talk now, finally. I don't necessarily want to get into the trade logistics and all the different permutations because it is pretty much multiverse of madness right now out there in terms of what could happen, what's going back and forth. Uh, to this point, the Lakers have been hesitant to include first-round picks to the deal. I'm not sure if they're hesitant to include multiple first-round picks or just one first-round pick in general. But essentially, they don't want to overpay, knowing the Nets don't really have another trade option with Kyrie Irving outside of stretching and waving him at this point. Now, the leverage that the Nets do have is knowing that the Lakers are sort of desperate in, you know, having to get rid of Russell Westbrook and starting their, you know, 2022-23 campaign to actually try and contend. And if they let this string out further, then you're adding more variables to the equation, right? And anything can happen. Maybe KD and Kyrie all of a sudden make up, or maybe like... another team out of nowhere is like, you know what, we'll take a chance on Kyrie after all. And I think that's the leverage that the Nets may have if they have any at all. That that variable of unknownness that could crop up between now and however long we drag this out. Now, I think most people know already the different permutations that are out there. The most unlikely one is probably a straight-up deal between Brooklyn and the Los Angeles Lakers, where the Lakers send out some combo of Westbrook, Nunn, maybe THD, maybe Wenyan Gabriel a first-round pick for, like, Kyrie Irving or Joe Harris or Seth Curry. And then you've also heard the Spurs potentially being a three-team trade facilitator where we might get Josh Richardson, uh, maybe we get Seth Curry, Joe Harris from the Nets as well, send out the same sort of package. At this point, most people know what the main parts will be. There's also obviously the Indiana Pacers. Maybe the Lakers loop them into this larger deal and maybe get Buddy healed. But essentially, the moving parts go are as follows. Westbrook, none, maybe THT, maybe Wenyan Gabriel, first round pick, maybe a, a second second round pick, maybe only one first round pick if the Lakers are willing to take on Joe Harris's remaining two years at $36 million. If they add a second first round pick, maybe instead of Joe Harris, they take on Seth Curry's expiring $8 million. Um, but those are the main moving parts here. I guess my main question to you guys first is, before we get to, hey, which which guys from like that ethereal sort of floating space of players would you want back? My first question is, are you okay with the Lakers giving up a first-round pick or even two first-round picks in order to get this sorted out now? So, Alan, I'll go to you first. How tightly are you clinging to those first-round picks, knowing that the Lakers are competing against themselves, but also knowing maybe it's good to just rip off the Band-Aid now and get things under underway versus things continuing to be murky, and you're drawing things out on multiple levels, including, you know, Russell Westbrook's just sitting there malcontent, you know, so. Right. Yeah, no, I I understand as far as, like, playing this waiting game on both ends, what the pros and cons of all of that is. Um, I mean, with this front office, <laughs> I feel like, and you guys could, like, totally disagree, but... If at this point in the back of their mind, they're like, okay, you know what? We are willing to give up one first round pick, like the 2027 one. Um, I feel like they already know, right, that they're willing to do that. Now, the benefit of them waiting is uh, maybe it just reveals itself that no other teams are willing, you know, to get involved um, with this pursuit of Kyrie. And 
this is an untenable situation. It's not going to work out with him and KD. At that point, the Lakers could like pull that back and and say we want to keep it, right? But if it comes down to it in the end, it's not like they're going to be. Um, I, I think if they're willing to give it up, like they will, right? If that's just what it mm-hmm. takes. Um, so, as far as how I feel about that, so twenty twenty seven, it's like five years from now. I don't know. It's just it's so hard to wrap your head around, right? Like, what is the state of this organization going to be? NBA is five not years exist at that point, dude. It's, uh, <laughs> I know, sir. None of us We're are going to exist, game, bro. <laughs> yeah, like five years from now, seven years from now, like. This is why they get paid a lot of money to do it, right? Um, so it is easy to just throw it away, and that's what we have historically done for the most part. And, uh, yeah, you could argue about the success of that and whether that's an effective strategy or not. Um, I would not be horribly upset if we did it, though. If, if it just happened today, oh, we gave up the 2027, I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, that was the stupidest effing move ever. No, I'd be like, all right, cool. We can all move on with our lives. Yeah, and you also have to factor in the LeBron James factor. Yeah, because, of course. Like, why'd you get him? Yeah, exactly. With Kyrie Irving, you also secure at least one more year with LeBron James. So, you know, for me, I commend the Lakers for actually trying to play hardball or take a hardball stance. Like, be kind of they prudent, know that they're, right? Yeah, of course. And it, it's something that, you know, we've wished they had done in prior years. But given the, the context of we are the Lakers, there is always going to be a Lakers tax, and the Nets are in a unique situation where they may just, out of petty spite, sit Kyrie Irving and say, okay, you don't want to give us a first, we'll just let him expire and sit at home. That's what he did all last season. We don't want to help you out. you know. So there has to be some sort of meeting in the middle, right? And as I mentioned, you, you don't want to drag this out for anyone involved. That goes for someone like Russell Westbrook. That goes for Kyrie Irving, what KD might want to do, what other teams might want to do. And yeah, the longer you wait, the more likely you increase the chance of variance or something unexpected popping up to shift the dynamic of this whole thing. So when if you know if push comes to shove for me, I'm okay surrendering one first, maybe even two first if we get back other additional players that we want, because at the very least we start to build out the foundation now versus going into training camp with this still being such a weird, murky, untenable situation uh, and that kind of derailing the start to our season so Tommy really quickly your thoughts on giving up a first or two firsts etc I'm definitely okay with one first to get a deal done especially because any deal like this is going to involve Russell Westbrook so naturally moving off his contract should cost you something um I don't know about two I mean that's where you get to the realm of only the Lakers front office knows what their other options are. If your other option other than trading two first round picks is you start the season with Russell Westbrook, then you trade two first round picks. If you have other options to make other moves like on the fringes and you know, you want to, you can make those with less than two picks and then you preserve picks for the future. Fine. Then, you know, maybe that becomes a different calculus, but the option can't be zero picks and start the season with Russell Westbrook. So whatever it takes to, to move off of Westbrook and get back some amount of talent is what we should do. If we're trading two, maybe we want more rotation players back. I think that's a fair ask. Um, but yeah, only they know. And and so regardless of what they do, it's going to be criticized. So we'll just have to wait and see. That's true. And, I, you know, maybe some of what they're haggling over, too, is adding protections or not on that second first round pick, right? Yeah. Because I wouldn't be surprised if it's like unprotected 2027, but 2029, at least top eight protect that shit, you know? And and my like overall take on the timing, by the way, is I don't even necessarily think this is between the Lakers and the Nets anymore. I think it's like 
the Nets are going to get a very embarrassing package for Kyrie because they have no options. Even our best package is embarrassing, you know, for a player like Kyrie Irving and presumably Seth or whoever else we end up getting. So I think that the holdup is whatever happens with the Kevin Durant trade, because they want to be able to present that all at once is like, look at this aggregate haul that we got for both of these guys. Yeah. Optically, you don't want to go back to your fan base before anything else has happened and say, all right, we got a Russell Westbrook TPE and Kendrick Nunn. <laughs> and it just hurt exactly. And it just hurts you too for the KD trade because it's like anyone yeah. trying to get in on the KD trade is like, look how desperate these guys are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I'll, you know, but Woj has also reported, and I think Windhorse too, maybe, that they still might do the Kyrie Irving trade first. So that'll be interesting to see if that happens. And it has been reported that the Lakers felt like they were close to consummating a deal over the 4th of July weekend. So I think at this point, they really are hammering out specifics, logistics, anything involving like a third team and any protections on first round picks and whatnot, pretty much all the ancillary edges because we know who the main players are, right? Like if you don't want to give us a first, fine, take back Joe Harris's larger salary contract. Um, With that said, to close this episode, I want to ask you guys, okay, ideally... Who would you want back outside of Kyrie Irving in any deal? Like the main players are you can either get Joe Harris, Seth Curry, uh, Josh Richardson, Doug McDermott, maybe Buddy Heald if Indiana is involved. But out of those like players, who would you sort of, you know, want based off of the Lakers current roster construct? I think for me, and I'll go first, I think the best, most ideal package we could give the Brooklyn Nets and, you know, another team um, would be... Westbrook, Nunn, Wenyon, a first-round pick, some seconds, maybe, you know, Max Christie throw in there, um, for Kyrie Irving, Josh Richardson, and Joe Harris. So we're taking Joe Harris so we don't have to give up another first. And I know there are luxury tax concerns with Joe Harris, etc., but by all accounts, it seems like he's going to be ready for next season, and you get Jay Richardson, who can sort of be your like new KCP, right? He's not as good as KCP. His shooting has regressed in recent years, but he can fill that KCP mold. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. I also obviously wouldn't mind if we swap Joe Harris for Seth Curry. I'm just not sure if we give up that first-round pick at the end of the day. But that's kind of my line of thinking. Alan, do you have like a preferred sort of you know ancillary package that you're looking at? Right. Yeah, I know like the debate between either Seth or between Joe Harris, I'm I'm really fine with either one, like you said. Um, it it's just does come down to, like you said, what are we going to give up? Is Seth worth, you know, that other pick? Then uh, I think we could live with Joe Harris. Um, and in, in some ways, I don't know, like, yeah, Joe Harris has, like, a health, you know, injury kind of history. Seth isn't, like, remarkably healthy either. I feel like every season he misses, like, a solid chunk of games. So um, a, a lot of that is just, like, you're, you're kind of splitting hairs at that point. You know, he's not so injury prone, Joe Harris, that is. And, um, dude, he's sharpshooter. He's got, like, uh, he's not a very good defender, but n- neither is Seth, right? He's a bigger body for sure. Uh, we do have that glutton of guards, you know, that are, you know, between six foot two and six foot four or five, which is another, yeah, that's Seth Curry too. Um, so at least Joe Harris is a wing. Um, as far as like, like, you threw out, like, Doug McDermott. That's not particularly enticing to me. So, just kind of go to the other end of things. Like, I, I don't really want McBuckets. <laughs> if we got him, it would be fine. I'm not going to, like, be pissed off and complain, right? But be like, oh, that's what we got? Okay, whatever. Yeah, uh, Tommy, what about you? And I want to throw in the angle of 
if possible, and I think it's almost by default he doesn't get included because I don't think the Nets want to add his salary at potentially two more years. So I think THT only gets included if the Spurs actually want him. And even then, I'm not sure if they're already taking on Russell Westbrook's 47 million. They want another 11 million on top of that or 10 million. But I think any deal that happens, if they can avoid putting THT in that deal, I think the Lakers should. Just because one, you can take a wait and see approach with him and what Darvin Ham does with him. And then two, it's just another bullet in the barrel that we can use down the line for another potential trade. Because THT's $10 million salary ballast is a good initial trade ship. And if you can combine him with Joe Harris's $18 million, that's $28 million going out. So you could potentially get a starting level player if you attach you know, another first round pick down the line, or even if you just get a solid role player on, on a multi-year deal. So I think just to keep your options open, it would behoove the Lakers to hold on to a THT. I would even like to hold on, on to a Kendrick Nunn, but I feel like he's just going to be included in any deal to facilitate you know, more salary going out in, in the trade, whether it's to another team or the Lakers themselves. But yeah, what are your, what's your like most ideal return? And then I guess your thoughts, if you have any on the THT angle. I'll start with the return. I mean, there's so many variations that it's just without getting into the weeds, I think the type of player that I would be most excited about is somebody like a Seth Curry. Um, I know he's undersized, but he can shoot the hell out of the ball. And the thing I like about him, you know, any any guy we get with Kyrie, by the way, like in any of these three-team trades that have been linked to us and any other player on the Nets, like they're going to be probably a defensive liability. Um, so the thing I like about a guy like Seth, or like if you think about a crazy like three-team trade with Indiana and we get somebody like a Buddy Heald, they're a little bit more dynamic than Joe Harris in that you know, if you just accept at a baseline that none of these guys are really going to play defense, at least the set, a guy like Seth, a guy like Buddy Heald can do some things with the ball. Um, so more like multi-dimensional players is, are like what I would kind of be looking for. I think I 100% agree with you on the THT point. If we need his salary ballast to get more help as part of this trade and we're going to get real tangible help, that's one thing. But I don't want to just throw him in as like a, we don't want to pay, you know, tax and we need more outgoing salary just to like, you know, be able to take who we're taking back. So let's just get rid of him as like a throw. In. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. THT is mm -hmm. still like, what is he? 22 years old uh, by yeah. the time the season starts. And, you know, he has crazy wingspan. He has a lot of defensive potential developing under Vogel and his staff. And now, you know, get, get a chance to develop with Ham and his staff I think the, you know, the upside is still there and he's not, I mean, you can't, he's probably in the top half of defenders on our roster currently, you know? <laughs> so it's like, you can't just like throw guys like this away for no reason. And to your point, it's like, take a wait and see approach and mid season, that $10 million contract that he has plus, you know, the six and a half that Lonnie has could get you yeah. a legitimate NBA, like rotational player who can, fill a need going into the postseason. And those needs are going to be like a lot more um, obvious once we get to that point. Yeah, I totally agree with that point. Um, all right, that's pretty much it. We will see what happens if the Kyrie Irving trade happens this weekend over Summer League. I mean, these guys are now face-to-face -face talking with one another. It's not a matter of if, but when with Kyrie. So we'll see. I hope I didn't jinx it. But that's where it seems everything is headed. We'll just have to keep our butt cheeks clenched and uh, 
Kyrie Irving, come on home, I guess. Uh, with that said, we will catch you guys next time. Alan, Tommy, catch you guys later. Laters. Peace. Peace. Credit card bill.